Romans chapter 16. Thank you, Lincoln, for helping prepare our hearts to focus on nothing but Christ. This morning, Romans chapter 16. If you need a Bible to follow along with this morning, our ushers have one. Uh, if you just slip up your hand, I'd be glad to find you and give you a Bible to follow along with. Also, part of worship is obviously giving back to the Lord everything that's His, uh, every part of us. Uh, and, uh, if you're a guest, uh, often I get asked, why don't you pass an offering plate here? We don't in the morning service, uh, but we do provide an opportunity for you to give back to the Lord unto great commission purposes, gospel advancement in the boxes, in the lobby, and in the hallways. Uh, that's how we take up our offering here uh, between you and the Lord and if you want to participate in worship with integrity, we need to give and give towards those gospel opportunities. So we encourage you to do that uh, this morning in any service here uh, at Grace Church. Let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer and ask his blessing on our uh, look at the word this morning. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to look into the perfect law of liberty, your word. Certainly, Lord, we want to be faithful hearers and doers so that we might know what it means to be blessed of heaven in our deed. So guide our minds, our hearts, and then our hands and feet as we leave uh, to go and to do and to be what we hear uh, this morning from your word. Our hearts, Lord, are burdened for uh, the folks related to this tragedy in Pittsburgh this morning. You are their creator. You are ultimately the only one that knows how to perfectly solace and comfort their hearts. I pray by way of your spirit this morning that you would have your way in their hearts unto that end of their own spiritual comfort. I pray, Lord, that you would use those in that community that may know you personally and your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to minister comfort to these sweet and hurting people today. We ask, Lord, by the same token, that you would allow the Word of God to have free course and rapid advance here, and that you would also continue to protect your people from, from wicked and perverse and unreasonable men. Uh, as we continue to worship you in a culture that's free, we thank you for that liberty to do so. And we pray, Lord, this morning as your word would direct us to pray in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, that you would superintend the hearts of those who are our rulers and leaders in the political venues. Lord, that they would look to you and come to know Christ as their Savior. As your word says there in that text, that we might continue to lead a quiet and peaceable life. And in that time of quietness and peace, that we would take advantage of that for gospel progress purposes as we seek to do here at Grace. And arm and equip each one of our hearts and minds unto that end. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're concluding the book of Romans. Uh, now and through the month of November that we started two years ago. For those of you who are guests, we try to uh, preach through one book at a time, whether it be in the morning or evening services. And this has been our 
situation for the last two years, or almost two years, and we've enjoyed looking at this really treatise of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that Paul gives us here, and Paul writes in two major sections usually in his letters, one doctrinal and one practical. So chapters 1 through 11 are the doctrinal part of this book that talk about what the gospel is and people's need to receive the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're here this morning and you don't know what the gospel is and you don't know much about the Lord Jesus Christ, I would encourage you to go back and reread or read maybe for the first time chapters 1 through 11. Chapters 12 through 16 are really our practical guidelines for how people that know the gospel and know Jesus live. This is what we seek to do. So he finishes in chapter 16 with a list of 27 names of people who are in the Lord. They are in Christ. These are people whose lives have been changed by the Son of God. God in flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. These are people that have received His righteousness when they turned from their sin and placed their faith in Him alone. And because they know the gospel and they've received the Christ of the gospel, they live according to the gospel now. And Paul highlights these 27 people, 26 specifically after he announces the first, who's the carrier of the letter that Paul writes to the Romans, Phoebe, that we discussed last week. But now we're going to look at 26 other names, uh, both today and next week. But I don't want to get caught up merely in the names of these people. Um, I don't believe any one of us here, uh, if our names were listed in Romans 16, would want anyone to pay particular attention to us. Our heart is of John the Baptist, right? The Lord Jesus must increase and I must what? I must decrease. I don't think the Apostle Paul got the permission of these folks to put their names in the closing of his letter. Uh, this was not an uncommon practice in this culture when you closed any type of a letter, sacred or secular. You would always send your greetings to a certain number of people. But the only way Paul qualifies these people is by telling us that they're in the Lord. The majority of these people he doesn't even give us any detail about their lives. The only detail we know about their lives we can trace back to the history of the purpose for why they were given the name they were given. When we were about to name Emma, um, I struggled. We were struggling between Emma and, and Molly. Right, and um, uh, middle name of Caroline. Uh, we struggled for days after she was born, what, what we were going to name her. And Rhonda got ready to leave the hospital. She's in the wheelchair. We're at the elevator doors, and, and the, the nurse came up, and she said, I'm sorry, you're not allowed to leave until your daughter has a name. We've got to finish this, this birth certificate. So... Um, you know, you guys know how your, your, your wives are, right? When you ask them, where would you like to go to dinner? What do they say, Pastor Mike? Where do you want to go, right? And you say, no, that's not what I asked you, right? 
And ultimately, we find out when we ask our wives questions that are either specific or yes or no, and they don't typically give us a specific or yes or no answer, we just find that God's made them communicative, nurturing beings, and they would just like to talk. And, and, and they just want us to, to, to relate with them. And, and, and so we're at, the, we're at the, come on, let's just remove the 800-pound girl in the room right away. And just get that right. So I said, sweetheart, Molly or Emma? And she said, what would you like to do? <laughs> and I said, okay, it's going to be Emma. Now, let me tell you why I like the name Emma. Years ago, we were on a missions trip as a youth pastor when I first got here to Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And Bud Talbert had a daughter, and her name was Emma. And every single morning, while we were, we were staying in their um, in-law suite in their basement, and uh, Emma would come down the steps. And every single morning, Emma came down the steps. Her daddy was in his office. And, and she would, I could start to hear her sing, you are my sunshine, my only sunshine. She was going down to see her dad, right? And then as soon as Bud heard her, he would join and start singing. And they would end up in his office, her on his lap and singing, you are my sunshine, my only sunshine. And they would pray together. And then she would go back about her day to get breakfast. And, and um, I began to like that name Emma around that story. So I can't really tell you that I put much thought into why I named Emma, Emma. As a matter of fact, we didn't know it now, but I think Emma's been the, one of the top two names like for five years in a row. And if I'd have known it had been that popular, I probably would have picked Molly. But poor Emma's got like 17,000 Emmas on every soccer team she's on, right? And, and so forth. So... There's nothing particularly exclusive about Emma except that she's mine, and, and she's Rhonda, and she's our sweet Emma. But that's how I got it. That's not how these people got their names. You have to understand that. There was a whole lot more thought put behind why someone was named what they were named in this culture. And for some of these people, that's all we know about these people is what we know about their names. But as we said last week, the most significant part, or the way these people were described, and it's done 11 times among 27 names, that these people were in Christ, or they were in the Lord. That's what they wanted to be known for. Christ governed their lives now. As a matter of fact, to be named as one of God's children in Christ in this subculture in Rome far transcended their legal name. Some of the people in this list never were given a legal name. They grew up as slaves. A couple times throughout this text, you'll see that this small group of people was of the house of so-and-so, or of the house of so-and-so. There's a couple people here that were named after the household in which they were slaves. That became their formal name. But when they came to know Christ, Christ became their name. Christ became who they were in that culture, why they got up, 
why they lived, why they served. And my friends, you and I are no different. Regardless of your name, we're all named as the children of God in Christ. My dad named me Timothy for a lot more noble reasons than I named Emma Emma. Because of what the name Timothy means. Some of you were named more intentionally, but the most intentional name or label, if you will, given to any one of these people is that they're in Jesus Christ. And I would just stop and ask, are you known more for his name or your name? We'll see several emphases here that we cannot avoid in the list of these names. There is indeed a social emphasis put in these names. As I said before, we have folks that are somewhat involved with politics of the day of Rome. We've got slaves. We've got single ladies, married ladies, and we have a set of sisters in this text. We have single men and married men. The social demographic here is wide and it's varied and I believe it's on purpose because Jesus came to die for all men regardless of social background. 1 John chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 tells us that among other texts that Jesus Christ came into the world to give his life a ransom for many. So there certainly is an emphasis on the social demographic but the primary emphasis is on the name of Christ. I think you'll find some organizational aspects here as well. We're going to find out at least two, probably three, if not more, house churches are mentioned here in the city of Rome. Those house churches had leadership. But I think it's interesting, while we know that much about the organizational structure of the church at that time, again, even that organizational structure is not the emphasis. These are people who are in the Lord. And I think we'll find here, as we've already somewhat mentioned, uh, the importance of women in the local church. Over one-third the names listed here are ladies. It was not common in this culture. It certainly didn't saturate this culture in Rome or subcultures outside this city, for women not to have significant roles. We find some ladies here in business that did, none in politics, but the majority of them in that culture would have been recluse to being really nothing more than barefoot and pregnant, their life. But in Christ, they're elevated to a much more significant spiritual position, aren't they? I find it very interesting that the Apostle Paul emphasizes these sweet female saints here and their role in the local church because they're in Christ. So while there's social, organizational, and emphasis on the importance of women, among other things, we understand that these are people that had known, learned, known, and submitted themselves to the gospel of chapters 1 through 11. Whether Jew or Gentile, they were now 
labeled as in Christ. So let's learn a little bit about these people. Last week, we learned a little about the letter carrier. Uh, Her name was Phoebe, uh, named as a person or a child of light. She in time came to know Christ, the true light of the world, and became a light for Christ in the way she lived. We won't go back and study her life. But what do we find here in chapter 16 and verse 1 again? I commend you to our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church, which is in Centrea, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. For she herself has also been a helper of many and of myself as well. You can go back last week and listen to the detail and intentionality of these words here. Uh, online. We begin here in verse 3. It says, Greet Prisca and Aquila, or Priscilla and Aquila, as many of you may know them from other texts. My fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Also, greet the church that is in their house. So here's the first house church, hosted by Priscilla and Aquila in Rome. What do we know about these people scripturally? Well, their original home was Rome. They're back home now. According to Acts chapter 18, Claudius had an expulsion order back at that point. And study the context on your own time, but they were expulsed from Rome. And they and their business, they were business owners. Back in the day, they would have been called tent makers. They probably would have been the owner-operators of Coleman camping tents or whatever brand you prefer. They were expulsed, but because they were in Christ, no matter where they went, in a time of peace or personal persecution, they sought to be used for the Lord Jesus Christ. They had ministered to Paul in Corinth, and then they went on to minister at Ephesus, Acts 18 tells us. The same chapter tells us that they became very instrumental in the life of Apollos, who we know from history, ended up being one of the first century's most eloquent golden-tongued speakers of the Word of God at that point. And these folks ministered to him and were instrumental in the development of his life and ministry. They served with Paul in Ephesus, the book of 1 Corinthians tells us, before returning to Rome after Claudius' edict had, had lapsed. I think some practical things are very important to note here about this married couple. I don't believe they're ever mentioned in Scripture apart from one another. Their names are always mentioned together. Their names are truly as wedded together in ministry as their life, their lives were in marriage. They're They're spiritual teammates in every way possible, you could imagine. I think it's fascinating to 
Notice too, and this is from my own study, I don't know that this would be from your study. If I'm wrong, you can correct me. If I tug on my coattail after church or sometime, we talk next. But I find it fascinating that every time their names are mentioned together in Scripture, she's always mentioned before he is. That would have been somewhat of an oddity in that culture. But why? We're not totally sure for all the reasons why, but what we're told is that she probably had a higher degree of the gifting of teaching than her husband did. But she was always willing to hide behind the authority structure that God had given them in their home and her husband in ministry. She was a capable lady. Whether in speaking or in ministering to the flock, The reason her name would be mentioned before his is probably because she had, whatever her gifting was, a higher degree of personal gifting than Aquila had. And I find it interesting here that Aquila is is willing to humbly admit that. How many of you men here would say, like I need and have to say, that your wife is your intellectual superior? Would you raise your hand? Raise your hand, guys. Come on. Anyone else join me? You know... All you have to do, okay. There's a few truth bearers here. Right? All you have to go back is look at the grade school and middle school and high school and college report cards, right? And then beyond that, it just is what it is, right? My wife is far my superior intellectual genius, right? Um, two of my kids got her DNA, and two of them got mine. Um, but I find it tremendously um, helpful to us to realize that we never see Aquila having an issue with her being mentioned first. I don't know if you know this. I don't spend much time reading of and or being entertained by Hollywood, uh, But you've heard of A actors and B actors, right? The highest divorce rates, and it's high in Hollywood. It's just high. (laughs) The highest divorce rates of the high divorce rates in Hollywood are typically among husbands and wives where the wife is an A actor and he's a B actor. There's something in the male makeup that grows increasingly uncomfortable with a wife having more notoriety than the man. That would have been the case in this culture and is in every culture. But in the in Christ culture, he matters. Amen. And for Aquila, it wasn't that Priscilla was mentioned first and that was the issue because it wasn't about her. He knew that her life was always about Christ. And if God had by his grace gifted his wife to the degree higher than him, then all glory goes to God. All glory goes to God. Sweetheart, you just go. (laughs) You go and serve the Lord. And I'll do my best to assist. And now we know that Aquila was tremendously influential as well. And really without the life of Aquila and Priscilla, we really don't have the life of the Apostle Paul and the ministry 
of him through the word and so forth. But nonetheless, I find those things uh, interesting, to say the least. They were people of means. Typically in the first century, uh, like Philemon, in that letter, short letter Paul writes to Philemon in relationship to Onesimus. Typically the folks that had means were the people that also hosted the church in their home because they had bigger homes. The text tells us that they had a home in their church. What I find interesting about, again, this social demographic of this text, the majority of new believers in the first century were not people of means. They were people who were owned. They were slaves. They would have been part of the lower middle class or lower, the upper lower class, the middle lower class, or the lower lower class. But these people did not allow their their resources to distract them from ministering to those who were in Christ. Because when they gathered them in their home, they didn't look at them as anyone else other than being in Christ. And when we gather here together as a church family, that's our reality, right? There's not rich or poor, degreed or non-degreed. There's not Italian and German, or Jew, or Swiss. All that goes away when we're in Christ. And for these sweet people of means, that was their humble reality. So when people came into their home, they really felt right at home. They really felt right at home. This is Aquila and Priscilla, or Priscilla and Aquila. These folks were impassioned about working together in Christ. The word that describes them here as fellow workers is where we get our English word synergy. They were hand in glove with one another. No one would really even talk about them in public, let alone in writing, without mentioning the other. And we have couples like that in our church, right? You work in excellent synergy with one another. And so we talk about you together often, even in the way we speak of your names. The text says that they had risked their lives for Paul. And I really believe that really is in relationship to the riots that we read about in Acts chapter 19. They had risked their necks, the New American Standard says, as we've read. These were sacrificial people. All their lives were about gospel advancement. Holding up the arms of gospel preaching people who were all about the training of God's people in the word and the advancement of the gospel. And Paul says here, from Jerusalem to Rome, Aquila and Priscilla had been instrumental in gospel advancement. Go back to then to chapter 15 and map out again in your own 
mind's eye the process of the gospel from moving from Jerusalem to Elycrium. That's what Paul's talking about here. He's basically saying without this married couple, Priscilla and Aquila, that gospel advancement does not happen. I think it's a tremendous lesson to us. 27 names mentioned, and not one of them is a full-time vocational gospel minister. Not one of them. So how important are you to gospel advancement? Priscilla and Aquila, Paul's saying it doesn't happen without him. It doesn't happen without you, my friends. You are just as essential as anyone that stands behind this big old white box to preach God's word. Spiritual equals. Because we are in Christ. We are in Christ. Let's look at one more individual as we close this morning. Epinatus. It's the only time he's named here in all of the Bible. His unsaved parents would have named him because they thought he was worthy of praise. His name means praiseworthy. So just like Phoebe's parents last week would have named her for a cultural reason in relationship to a Greek god, he was named probably because they had liked to talk about him a lot. Or they wanted him talked about a lot. He was worthy of praise. And Paul calls him here, my dear friend, or literally in the Greek grammar, my beloved. Special affection he has for this man. Why? I find this fascinating. Paul mentions here of him that he was Paul's first convert in the province of Asia, of which Ephesus was a leading city. The text says here that he's the first fruits of that area. Second part of verse 5. My beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. One author calls him the first of Asia's gifts to the church. Signifying how special of an influence he was in the early days of gospel advancement throughout that region, but also signifying this. Paul, often in his writings, loved to talk about how someone began in Christ and how they continued in Christ and how by God's grace they would continue in Christ until the day of Jesus Christ. He often did that. Philippians chapter 1 that we looked at in Sunday school, the same thing. How that from the first day until now, God that began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So he says the same of this man. God began a good work in him, and he was the first in that region. God continues to do a good work in that man. He's essential to gospel advancement in that region. He's my beloved because of that. He's in the Lord, but he's faithful from the first day until now. Please greet him for me. 
A couple weeks ago, I was in Plainville, Massachusetts, and I was picked up at the airport by a sweet couple who's probably in their mid-60s, just recently retired. And as we were driving from the airport on a Sunday afternoon, because I was speaking to their people in their evening service, we got to talk and discuss each other's lives and families and so forth. And I said, well, how long have you been uh, at this church, Plainville Baptist Church? And uh, he just kind of stopped and took a humble breath. And he goes, oh, I'm the first convert. I'm the first convert. And a couple days after I got saved, my wife in the back seat, she's the second. So you've been here since the beginning. Yep. He said, we actually started this church, if my memory serves me correctly. What are those silver round trailers called? Something streams? Airstreams. He said, we started this church in an Airstream trailer that the pastor and his wife pulled into town and just decided to go start meeting people and share the gospel. And he goes, I got saved in that Airstream on that first Sunday service. I said, what's the history of the church been like ever since? And he goes, well, we've had a lot of rocky roads. We've been through this many pastors. It's been this difficult many times. A few times we felt like leaving. It just wasn't worth the fight anymore. My children grew up watching some of that. And to this day, my children still struggle in their own walk with the Lord because of what they saw. And he said, you know, we just wanted to stay faithful. And now we got a pastor who's all about First century church disciple making, that's why you're here. And God's starting to do some really neat things in our church. And, and my pastor has asked me if I would be the trainer of disciple makers in our church. And I'm excited about that. And I can't wait to get on this road. And I can't wait to hear what you have to say. And, and uh, you know, it's never too late to do right. Amen. When I got to the church and I preached to those sweet Bostonians, was no, no label upon those people except that they were in Christ. And you could see the social demographics and you could, you could see all the variety there for sure uh, just outside that big city. It's evident, but they were all in Christ and they're on their edge of their seats ready to learn about how to be spiritually winning souls and training souls in Christ's likeness and and they're on their edge of the seats, not primarily because of the pastor, because he had only been there maybe 10 years, but because of one sweet couple about halfway back on my left side, who were the first fruits, who stuck with it through thick and thin, because there was something more important to them than all the struggles, is that they were in Christ and they wanted the gospel to advance in Plainville. That's Epinatus. He's faithful from the first day until now. And can I just close by telling you folks this morning that I'm immensely grateful for those of you that have been faithful here. I'm immensely grateful for those of you that have been faithful here for not just days. I'm thankful for all of you. Right? Weeks, months, years, but decades. And you know who you are that I'm talking to this morning. I grew up here. 
I came here when I was four years old. You know what we've been through, thick and thin. You know the triumphs and the difficulties. You know how much effort it took to make sure that we remained or tried to be undistracted by things that just really eternally didn't matter. And how we always kept trying to, to keep everyone's eyes lifted up and forward to gospel advancement. And you folks have endured through all of it. And you're essential. Every gospel advancement group of people needs at least one, if not a handful, of guys and gals like Epinetus. We just do. So I thank you. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for Priscilla and Aquila. We thank you, Lord, for Epinetus. We thank you for the Spirit of God choosing to have his name inspired and preserved for us and these saints' names inspired and preserved for us in the Scriptures for our learning and for our encouragement. Help us, Lord, to go forward from this place this morning with our arms, mind, with the reality that we're all in Christ, and that's essentially what matters. But since we're in Him, we're all to be about His mission. And I thank you, Lord, here at Grace, that while we have a long way to go, you've given us sweet saints who are primarily desiring to be known for being in Christ and about His mission. May that increase more and more as we seek to do Acts 1.8, According to your word, in Christ's name we pray, amen.